Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This chapter in which our sermon text, uh, from which our sermon text is selected, includes uh, Jesus calling his first disciples. And so, uh, of course, here we see Jesus calling Philip and Nathaniel. And in uh, the previous section of this chapter, we see Jesus calling Andrew and an unnamed disciple, uh, who is most likely the author of this gospel book of the Bible, the, the disciple John, uh, the one referred to often as the disciple whom Jesus loved or was especially close friends with. So we see that uh, through the preaching of John the Baptist, John pointed the people that he was, was teaching and baptizing to the Savior of the world, the Son of God himself, who was about to be revealed on the world stage. Jesus uh, one time was, happened to be walking by the place where John was baptizing people, and then as he was walking by, John pointed directly to him and, and told the people that this is the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so then, when, when John the Baptist testified in that way about Jesus, then two of John's own disciples, uh, people who had been uh, paying attention to John's teaching closely for the time that he was ministering out there in the wilderness, two of John's disciples, Andrew and most likely John, uh, the brother of James, went and followed Jesus. And as you may recall, uh, the first thing that Andrew did after, after he and John spent some time that day with Jesus was he went right away to find his older brother, Simon, better known to us as Peter, and he told Peter, uh, we have found the Messiah, and invited Peter to come along with him. And so the, the words that we have before us in our sermon text happen the next day after those events, after Andrew and John go and follow Jesus. And we see that our, our reading begins with Jesus coming to Philip, and saying to him, follow me. The beginning of, of a great conversation that includes a great invitation. Now, we don't know uh, very much about Philip from the Bible, except the fact that he has a Greek name, Philippos, and he lived in a fishing village called Bethsaida. And Andrew and, and Peter also came from that same village, and uh, not much very good is said about it. In fact, uh, Jesus has some words of criticism uh, for the people of that place, uh, because many of them did not accept him as the Savior. But we hear that invitation, follow me. That invitation was extended to Philip. It, it wasn't because Philip was so special or because he came from such a, a, a great community of, of faithful people. No, it, it came to him in spite of the fact that many of the people of his community were arrogant and, and unjust, and in fact, it's at some points very opposed to Jesus and his message. And Philip's response to Jesus' invitation was not in, in flowery speech and, and great lofty promises, but simply he went and followed, uh, accepting that call of Jesus. That's the same response that we should have for our Savior as well. Uh, not only in words, but as Philip did, also in our actions. Going and following him. And 
Obviously, for us, the the following is different than it was for Philip. He literally followed Jesus wherever Jesus went for those next three years of Jesus' public ministry. But also spiritually, of course. Philip followed Jesus uh, with with his heart, with the devotion and belief of his soul. And that's the call that God places upon our hearts and souls and lives as well. And then we see that uh, Philip also responded to that invitation of Jesus by going and extending that invitation uh, beyond himself to one of his friends, to Nathanael. And so we read that Philip went out and found Nathanael just as Andrew had done after he interacted with Jesus. He went right out and found his brother Peter and said, Come and see, we have found the Messiah, the one that God had promised to send to us. And so Philip does the same thing eager to share that good news of God's promise of a a Savior fulfilled in their presence, the Savior walking among them. We also don't know a whole lot from the Bible about Nathanael. We know that he also goes by another name, Bartholomew. We see in this interaction with Philip and Nathanael that good news is meant to be shared that God doesn't want us to keep good news, especially the good news of his love for us through Jesus, to ourselves. Just like Andrew and Philip, God wants us to reach out to those around us with this message of God's love and salvation through Jesus. And so what a wonderful example Philip is for us. Even though he was a brand new Christian himself, uh, just that very day, having just met Jesus and, and realizing that Jesus is the Savior that God promised to send. He didn't have a whole lot of knowledge about who Jesus was exactly, what his background was, uh, all the details of his life, all the details of presumably of his birth and his childhood and and everything else that, that we just celebrated at Christmas. But nevertheless, he goes out right away and finds another person to tell. He finds his his friend Nathaniel to invite him also to come and see for himself and believe. Now, it's interesting to note that the great conclusion that Philip had reached as as a result of spending just that short amount of time with Jesus, it wasn't as if he had had already spent several months following Jesus around and seeing all the the great miracles that he would perform that proved that he is who he says he is, that he is the Almighty Son of God, or hearing his powerful teaching of God's Word, which also would give evidence that he is the Messiah, the Savior God had promised to send? No, in just that short amount of time, he said to Nathanael in verse 45, We have found the one of whom Moses wrote in the book of the law, and of whom the prophets also wrote. He is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. How wonderfully Jesus had revealed himself to Philip. In just that short time, Philip was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. The, the Savior about whom God had promised all the way back in the beginning to Adam and Eve after they first sinned, and that promise that God had repeated to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then to, to Moses, and through all the prophets in the Old Testament. Jesus himself is the, the very one whom, in fact, the whole Old Testament, all of those books of the law, the, the, the first five books of the Bible written by Moses, and all the books written by the prophets, Jesus is the one to whom all of those writings were pointing, the long-awaited Savior. 
And while Philip's identification of Jesus as the Savior may not have been expressed as completely as, as we would have liked, yet Philip was identifying Jesus as he had come to know him, and also as the people of that day uh, commonly identified each other as the son of a certain father from a certain place. And so he called Jesus the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And while Philip's knowledge about Jesus may have been incomplete, yet the Holy Spirit led Philip to a conviction that Jesus was the promised Savior. Philip, just like every other uh, Jewish uh, Israelite person at that time, would have been very familiar with those promises about the Savior that God had made in the Old Testament. And from our perspective, our knowledge of Jesus and who he is and what he has done to save us is, is far greater than Philip's limited knowledge was. Philip only had those prophecies about the Savior's work, but not all the details of exactly how Jesus carried out that work of salvation. Philip didn't know exactly how that salvation would be accomplished by the death of Jesus upon the cross. Philip didn't know all the details about Jesus' resurrection from the dead on the third day and his ascension into heaven afterwards. But it's not mere knowledge of those details that moves people to action, to respond to the great invitation of Jesus to come and follow him. No, it's, it's the faith that, that God works in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, motivated by his word. And so from even the, the little that Philip had already witnessed of Jesus, the Holy Spirit had worked that faith in his heart to believe in Jesus as his Savior. Then, of course, we see Nathaniel's rather interesting response to Philip's invitation to come and see Jesus. Nathaniel didn't say, oh, so you have found the promised one? That's very interesting. Nor did he say, oh, well, take me to him. I'd like to be convinced too, just as you are. No, instead, he kind of raised a skeptical question and he said, can anything good come from Nazareth? Of course, Nathaniel had heard the name of that village in, in uh, the region of Galilee where uh, he had also grown up in a, a village, Bethsaida, not far away. And he knew that Nazareth didn't have any kind of special reputation. It was kind of a, a backwater village. And in fact, uh, as far as Nathaniel knew, none of God's prophets had mentioned the Savior or really any prophet or anyone special who would come out of the town of Nazareth. And so Nathaniel was rather skeptical to be invited to come and meet Jesus from Nazareth. But he forgot that God's grace is not determined by the community or the, the character of the people of a certain area. No, it's determined by God's great care and concern for his people. And so even though communities may often be labeled by names that are not very complimentary, God still has great love and concern for every place and every community of people. Think about even Jesus' uh, own, uh, the, the town of his birth, Bethlehem. Even though God had prophesied that the Savior of the world would be born from Bethlehem, God, through his prophet, did acknowledge that Bethlehem was not considered to be a very special uh, city among all of the cities of Israel and, and of God's people, the Israelites. 
It was considered to be a kind of a, a rather small and insignificant town, but God promised that in spite of its small size and, and relative insignificance, that the greatest one born among human beings would be born there, the Savior of the world, the Son of God himself. And so the same thing is true of Nazareth. Even though Nazareth was considered to be a, a backwater town, yet that was the place where the Son of God himself spent the years of his childhood and young adulthood with his mother Mary and his adoptive father Joseph. And so the same may be true for us as well. Your community may not appear to be very important. Our city uh, might not always have the best reputation among the people of our nation. But yet, we are beloved by God. God shows special care and concern for us and our community. Because God promises to be here with his people. We are his children, his dearly loved sons and daughters. And so wherever we are, he is there with us, and he loves the place where we are because of us, and because of all the other people living there. And in response to Nathaniel's uh, rather skeptical reply, uh, Philip doesn't argue with him. Uh, he simply repeats the invitation. Come and see. And sometimes for us, too, as, as we are inviting people to come and meet Jesus, come and get to know the Savior that God has sent, the Son of God himself, people might respond to our invitation with some skepticism, perhaps even some criticism. And we know that it's not possible for us to convince people and to overcome all of their objections by, by our own uh, rational arguments. It's good for us to remember that we can't argue people into the kingdom of God. But people can be convinced when they see for themselves. And that is why it's so important for us to remember that many people will be more impressed by the Christian care and compassion and love that we show in our lives than by all the words that we might speak, as important as that is, that we do speak God's word to them as well. But a simple invitation, come and see, just as Philip extended, may be so very effective in reaching the people around us for Jesus. And so we invite others to come and see, to, to come and see Jesus himself, his Holy Spirit, living within us and, and working in us in our attitudes and in our words and our actions that are motivated by his love for us. We invite them to come and see Jesus in our interactions with each other, with our family members and friends and, and neighbors. And note how Philip didn't say to Nathaniel, you go and see. No, he said, come and see. Come with me. I will go along with you. And so there's another lesson for us for evangelism. We invite people to accompany us, to come along with us, to, first of all, just simply to think about and to investigate with us the claims that God has made, the call that he has issued for us for our lives. And then also literally to come with us, to come with us to church, come with us to Bible study, uh, come with us to, to pray together, come and see. Philip was the link between Nathaniel, his friend, and Jesus, the Savior. 
God calls you and me also to be the link between himself, between Jesus the Savior, and between the the people that we interact with in our lives who need to be connected to Jesus through faith. And while it it seems from our reading that Nathanael wasn't by any means immediately convinced by what Philip had told him, he just simply couldn't turn down this very sincerely expressed invitation by his friend to come and see. And so the two of them set out to meet Jesus. But long before they were there face-to-face with Jesus in his presence, uh, Jesus had already seen Philip and Nathanael and their their interaction. And he spoke about Nathanael as Nathanael was approaching to him. Here is an Israelite, a true Israelite, in whom there is no deceit. What an evaluation that was of Nathanael's character. Does that mean that Nathanael never lied, that he wasn't a sinner? No, of course not, because God's word is very clear. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, including all of us, you and me, and of course, Philip and Nathanael as well. But here Jesus was commending Nathanael as a real Israelite, one of the best, who was honest and genuine without any of the hypocrisy and duplicitousness of some of the religious leaders of the Jewish people at that time, some of the the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who were more concerned about putting on a, a good show of righteousness and following God than really having that attitude of, of devotion and concern for others in their hearts. The reaction that we see of, of Nathaniel towards Jesus' evaluation really puzzled him. He said to Jesus, well, how do you know me? You're talking about me, and yet this is the first time we've ever met. How could you possibly know anything about me? And Jesus tells him, Nathaniel, I saw you when you were still under the fig tree before Philip even came and spoke to you. Maybe remember from your confirmation class days, for some of you, uh, those days are still in progress, learning about uh, the, the names for some of God's attributes that he is omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omnipresent, present everywhere. And we talk about a third omni-word, omniscient, meaning all-knowing. And it's amazing for us to think about the fact that God is all-knowing, that he knows everything. He even knows all of, of the thoughts that we never even express to another person, uh, things that, about our lives that we might think are so insignificant The Bible tells us that God even knows the exact numbers of hairs on our head. Think about that. And when even just one falls out, God knows about it. How insignificant. Why would God care about that? But that's evidence of the fact that he cares about us so much, even to know those tiny little details. And so Jesus revealed to Nathanael that he is the all-knowing God who knows all the details about Nathaniel's life. What a blessing that is for us to know that our God, our Savior Jesus, knows everything about us. At times when we might feel that, that we are insignificant and that God doesn't really care what's going on in our lives when we're facing challenges and, and times of difficulty, and we have the assurance as we read here today that Jesus knows. He knows what we need. He knows what we are going through. And he loves us and promises his care and blessing.
The conversation between Jesus and, and Nathaniel and Philip is highlighted by now an expression of great faith. In response to, to Jesus' revelation through this fact of, of, of the fact that he saw Nathaniel before Nathaniel ever came to him, Nathaniel realizes that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Son of God. And so Nathaniel replies, Teacher, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. So Nathaniel is not simply expressing uh, some respect for Jesus as a, a prophet, a great teacher, even though he says, calls him teacher, but yet he goes on to acknowledge that this is not just any prophet or rabbi or teacher, that this is the very Son of God himself. No simple human being could know these things that Jesus had just expressed that he knew. Only the Son of God could know that. Only the, the King of Israel, the Messiah, the Savior that God had promised to send. And so Nathaniel also again, just as Philip in just a short amount of time, had come to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. This great conversation that we've been listening to today uh, comes to a, a mighty climax when Jesus says to Nathaniel, in short, you haven't seen anything yet. You think what, what you've just heard and seen is amazing? You will see far greater things than this. Jesus reveals to Nathaniel that, that he will see Jesus himself complete that work of salvation by his crucifixion and his death on the cross, which will pay for the sins of the whole world. And then to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, that he is the Savior that God had, had promised to send. He would prove it by rising from the dead on the third day. Absolute proof that he is the Son of God, that that work of salvation, of the forgiveness of the sins of the world is completed. And that testimony from Jesus would give Nathanael the ultimate peace and comfort of soul, knowing that Jesus had accomplished his salvation and it would motivate Nathaniel, just as it did for all the other disciples, to be willing to sacrifice their lives to spread this message of salvation. If you've walked around uh, the, the balcony of our church and looked at the stained glass windows, you know that uh, on some of those windows that represent the signs for symbols for the 12 apostles, those 12 followers of Jesus whom he sent out as missionaries, many of those symbols representing the apostles are symbols of how they were brutally tortured and killed because of their faith in Jesus. If they had not had rock-solid confidence that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior, they would have never been willing to sacrifice their lives, to willing to suffer torture as excruciating as being flayed alive and being sawn apart and being beheaded and crucified upside down, but they were willing to suffer those things because they had seen they had become convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, and not just that, that he is their Savior who loved them and who gave up his own life to save them and to save all people of the world. And so they were willing to sacrifice their own lives, if need be, to spread that eternal life-giving message to others. And now God may never call us in our lives to to lay down our life, to suffer torture in the same way that, that the disciples were called upon to do and many other early Christians, uh, maybe, maybe we will find ourselves in, in such circumstances, God forbid. 
but we do all have the power and ability to answer that call of God. We're motivated by his love to answer that call. And even if we face opposition, simply to continue to persist and extend the invitation, come and see, trusting that God will work in the hearts of the people that we invite, the people with whom we share his word, that his Holy Spirit will move them to see, just as Philip and Nathaniel had seen, that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior, just as we have seen in our lives just as we have become convinced that Jesus has taken away all of our sins and that the message of his love is worth far more than anything else in our lives. And so may God grant us the grace to go and extend that same invitation. Come, follow me. Just as we have been invited to do, just as by his grace we have done. Amen.